Are you ready to live a life to the full? Are you ready to rise up and live a life of honor? Are you ready to boldly step into a life of courage? This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Hatcher. Hey guys, Josh Hatcher here. Listen, today we're going to talk about what it means to be wild. And I mean wild in a good way, okay? Not like wild like a drunken frat boy wild. Uh, you know, to be wild, to hear the heartbeat of nature, to feel the rush of adrenal strength, to drink from the fresh air and howl at the moon, these things are embedded into men. Let's start talking about the call, the call of the wild. Men are wild, they're mighty, they're fierce, and our culture wraps silky ropes around our necks and they shave our faces and they trim our nails. You know, the wild man isn't quite socially acceptable and it's not okay to have dirt under your fingernails or to kill your own dinner. You know, we don't have to reject civilization entirely. There's a time and a place for manners and polite conversations and neckties and cologne. But I believe that all men, all men, even the dandier, fluffier ones, they have a call. Drums beating in the distance that beckons them into the wild. Listen to this quote from Jack London about the call of the wild. I don't know if you ever read that book. It's a great book. But especially, he loved to run in the dim twilight of the summer midnights, listening to the subdued and sleepy murmurs of the forest, reading signs and sounds as a man may read a book, and seeking for the mysterious something that called, called waking or sleeping at all times for him to come. Now, obviously, Jack London is talking about, uh, you know, he's talking about a dog (laughs) who is part wolf, if you've read the book, but I think it's a metaphor. I think it's pretty clear. You know, we all kind of long for that. We all kind of long for being out in the wilderness. So that's the call. You know, there's parts of that call that we we should talk about. We should embrace. First of all, fury. Men have a call to the wild, and that involves fury. Sometimes wild fury and righteous anger, it stirs up in the hearts of men. We're driving them to to action, to battle, to, to fight. Hopefully that's tempered with the code, with the order. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But fury must be kept in check. And it's got to be used for justice, you know, to free the oppressed and to protect our loved ones. But I think that's in all men. And and don't get me wrong, I think some women have that fury too, especially some of the women I know. But I think that that righteous anger is something that belongs in us. Something else that uh, I think we've forgotten as we have become more civilized is our tests of strength. From the time that boys are little, we enter contests, whether we're alone with ourselves or with our brothers or fathers or our, the kids down the street to see how strong we are. We're wrestling, weightlifting, arm wrestling, bloody knuckles, mercy, Chinese hot hands, and thumb wrestling. Even video games are a reflection of that because we want to compete. This wild behavior can seem a little bit like goats or deer butting their heads against each other, or bears mawing at each other's necks, but it's a part of who we are. We don't necessarily outgrow it, and that rough and tumble tug of war helps to shape us. It gives helps us bond together as men, and it helps remind us who we want on our side if there's ever a time that we've got to fight. The call of the wild pushes men to success. It drives men to be refreshed in nature. As long as we wrap it up in silk and lace and soap, it's still going to be there. Jack London says this, again, in The Call of the Wild. He was mastered by the sheer surging of life, the tidal wave of being, the perfect joy of each separate muscle, joint, and sinew, and that it was everything that was not death, that it was a glow and rampant expressing itself in movement, flying exultantly under the stars. I know that feeling, right? I know you know that feeling. (laughs) 
All right, guys, I'm telling you what, I think Jacqueline's got something here, so let's read a little bit more. There's an ecstasy that marks the summit of life and beyond which life cannot rise. And such is the paradox of living. This ecstasy comes when one is most alive and it comes as a complete forgetfulness that one is alive. This ecstasy, this forgetfulness of living comes to the artist, caught up and out of himself in a sheet of flame. It comes to the soldier, war mad in a stricken field and refusing quarter. And it comes to Buck leading the pack, sounding the old wolf cry, straining after the food that was alive and that fled swiftly before him through the moonlight. Yeah, I'm telling you what, that pumps you up, doesn't it? So the next element of the wild that we men need to embrace is the fire. I think we lost it when our culture became civilized and we pushed out the wild men. With that, we pushed the fire away. Today, we gather around the television and we let, and we, uh, let people tell us stories with the imagination that's already painted for us. Maybe Bird Box <laughs> or the Avengers, right? Somebody else told those stories. We're not telling those stories. And we pretend to gather in virtual communities on Facebook, Twitter. We type with our thumbs we send each other cat videos and poop emojis. <laughs> but in the wild, men gather around a fire at the end of the evening. The fire cooked the food from the hunt, it kept the predators away, and it kept the tribe warm. More importantly than that, though, it unites them. It gave them communion with each other, with the stories of their ancestors. That's what the fire did. They laughed, they sang, they told stories while the little ones fell asleep in daddy's lap. And generations later, we brought the fire from the outside to the inside into stone hearths, and our tribes were smaller, but the same thing happened. Grandpa played his fiddle, Pa smoked his pipe, and Grandma braided hair, and they told stories of the good old days. Today, our heat is made from underground pipes or copper coils. Our songs are auto-tuned, and we all listen to our own songs with Beats by Dre or Earbuds or whatever, or on Alexa. And our stories aren't even our own anymore, as we stopped having real adventures generations ago. Or we're afraid that Grandpa's war stories might frighten the children or trigger the young and traumatized adults. When Grandpa was their age, he was in Nam dodging bullets. But now Grandpa lives in Florida or in a nursing home rather than spending his remaining years with his loved ones. So, the question is, can we recapture that tribal fire? Can we sit with our band of brothers and their wives and their kids and their moms and dads and we, can we tell stories again? Can we teach our kids that electronics are nice and useful but sometimes the untamed and raw beauty of a fire is what our soul really craves. Guys, the next part of the wild that we need to understand and embrace is the law. The law of the wild, the order, the code, if you will. It matters. When we talk about living wild, we're not talking about living without morals. There has to be honor. I know some men define honor differently. Jack Donovan says the word honor has its root in the glory that came from ancient warriors who fought valiantly. He claims that now that we've spread out the honor like a participation trophy to anybody who does something good, we've stripped it all away. I can't say that I wholeheartedly agree with Jack Donovan. Honestly, Jack Donovan has some great things to say. If you look it up, check it out. But he does make a good point here. A man of honor, though, isn't just a brave or strong man. He's a man with integrity, and he knows right from wrong, and he lives it. He needs no government to enforce it. While he may need, well, he may be spiritual and he may have communion with God, he doesn't require religion to police his behavior. If he's a spiritual man who communes with God, he doesn't follow the code because he's frightened or of lightning or hell. He's following the code because his friend is God. I guess regardless of his faith or lack thereof, we live in an age that struggles to define that code. Right and wrong have slipped away in the tsunami of relativism. 
And some things in life are relative. The truth is, some things just aren't relative. I can't begin to answer the questions uh, that living in a relativistic world dredges up. But as a Christian, I'm often accused of being judgmental because I have a belief in the idea of moral absolutes. And I know that not everybody shares that uh, Judeo-Christian ethic or worldview that I've kind of grown up in and that I, I still cling to. And I don't expect everybody to do so, but I do think that as a culture and as it's become more sexu- more secular, I think we may have thrown out a few babies with the bathwater and we've neglected moral codes that were previously accepted as universal because that culture wants to distance itself from Christianity. Part of that's because Christianity's done a poor job at really expressing what it means, but um, which is sad because I think Jesus is pretty cool. And I think uh, Christians can be pretty cool. But I think sometimes the, uh, the religion itself can get things a little bit mixed up. When I say religion, I'm talking about the man-made uh, expression of that, of that, not necessarily the one that God kind of made. So I know, listen, I'm not going to, we're not going to get into all this. We're not going to, I know you're not going to agree on what morals are universal. And I get that, but maybe we should at least determine what our code is. And we should talk about that and what that looks like. And I do think that even if we are coming from this place where we view things differently, there should be some things that we're all agreeing on that are right and that are wrong. Guys, the next thing about the wild that we need to embrace is the hunt. So hunting today is not what it once was. We used to hunt because it was life. We didn't hunt, we didn't eat. Now, it's kind of a sport. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's a government-managed program that requires permits and fancy orange vests and expensive equipment to do. At the core of the wild is the idea that we have to seek, stalk, kill, and haul our prey home and then process the meat to feed our young. It was a rite of passage for young men for generations to get that first kill, to take the life of an animal and to learn that our life depends on the life of another. I understand that there are some that don't eat meat, and I don't think for a minute that you aren't still killing something when you pull that carrot out of the ground. <laughs> You're still killing something. Our cultured and shiny environment now, though, it doesn't require people to get their hands dirty. If you go to the store to buy meat, you buy meat. You don't see the beating heart, the twitching nerves, or the cold stare left behind by the animal that gave its flesh for you. Today, our hunt might be translated to many things, though. I think we're lacking this, and I think we need I think we need rites of passage. What rites do we use to identify our maturity into manhood? What ritual marks a teenage son turning into a man? What ritual marks a man turning into an elder? And I fear we may have dropped many of these by the wayside, and I think we have to start to resurrect them again. I want you to check out this quote. It's... Uh, fantastic. It's, it is also from Jack Donovan. And again, I don't agree with him on everything, but it, he says a lot of good stuff kind of mixed in with his nonsense. <laughs> men cannot be men, much less good or heroic men, unless their actions have meaningful consequences to people they truly care about. Strength requires an opposing force. Courage requires risk. Mastery requires hard work. Honor requires accountability to other men. Without these things, we're little more than boys playing at being men, and there's no weekend retreat or mantra or half-assed rite of passage that can change that. A rite of passage must reflect a real change in status and responsibility for it to be anything more than theater. No reimagined manhood of convenience can hold its head high so long as the earth remains the tomb of our ancestors. Uh, Something else that I think we're lacking, guys, that we really need to embrace to really understand what it means to be wild... Uh, and what it means, it, it kind of is part of that hunt. 
and that strenuous activity. You know, chasing a deer through the woods, wrestling a bear to the ground, or holding perfectly still, even. (laughs) Yoga, right? Holding perfectly still to avoid chasing off the rabbit. Those are strenuous. And they build strength, and they build speed in us. And I, I have to ask this question, what are we doing to build strength today? Are you active? Are you moving? Are you training your body better than it is? You know, we're still pretty early on in this new year. We're maybe a couple weeks in. We're at the place where people start quitting on those promises they made December 31st. So maybe we should uh, revamp some of that, right? Maybe we should uh, stick with it this year. So this is a quote from Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I know you guys, everybody loves Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Training for me is a metaphor for life, period. The dedication, the determination, the desire, the work ethic, the great success, and the great failures. I take that into life. Uh, The Rock is saying that when he is lifting weights or when he's running or when he's training, physically training his body, he recognizes that that's a metaphor for his entire life. And so he tries to take that and he tries to apply it to your life. And I think that strenuous activity matters. Listen, I've I've read a lot of studies, too, about depression and about, heck, even... um, libido, so many things are encouraged and so many things grow and so many things work properly when we are getting strenuous activity, getting strenuous exercise. So I want to encourage you to do that. You know, and if you've got some health issues that are keeping you from it, find out what you can do because I guarantee you there's something that you can do no matter what level you're at that starts getting the blood flowing and that starts getting you moving a little bit. So find out what it is. Do hard things. The other thing that the hunt teaches us, guys, is respect for the source. In a lot of cultures, a hunter or a farmer would say a prayer as he slit the throat of his animal so that he could bleed it out. And he respected the beast that would feed his family. And now we've, we, have a, we could have a long talk about the evils of factory farming and what all is involved with that. But that's another topic for another day. I guess the crux of what I'm saying here is that we need to be grateful for the sources of our provision today. Do we show respect for the company that pays us money at the end of the week? Do we show honor and respect for the work and for the hunt of our success? Or do we just demand and assume that our wealth will be handed to us? You know, I I think that that's the honest truth is that we, we don't always appreciate what we have and we don't have respect for where it comes from. So let's contrast the wild a little bit. Let's contrast the wild with the tame. You know, I love my dogs. I've got a golden retriever named Lincoln and a shelter mutt. I think he might be part pit bull and who knows what else he is. He looks kind of like gremlin. Um, his name his name is Teddy. And yeah, they're named after presidents. <laughs> and my dogs are normally pretty relaxed and gentle. And they're not at all like the wolves that uh, <laughs> that they used to be, right? The wolves that uh, are, my dogs are descended from. I guess their biggest joy in life is to snooze on the couch. Yeah, while a, while somebody in the house scratches them behind their ears. Uh, you know, they don't have to hunt for food. Their only job is to be friendly and to occasionally be a little bit protective when somebody comes to the house. Their job is to bark to let us know somebody's here and maybe to bite a bad guy. <laughs> I don't think they've ever had to do that. A few years ago, Teddy and Lincoln got loose and the front door wasn't working right and I hadn't fixed it yet and so it wouldn't shut all the way. The family went to church and while we were gone, the dogs figured out how to open the door and they left. They took off and it actually happened twice in a pretty short period of time. And, you know, the, the first time they were gone for about a week and the second time, uh, I think it was almost a week the second time too. And both times, the first time they came home, they were covered in porcupine quills and they were starving. The second time they had, they were covered in ticks. It looks like one of them had been hit by a car. And I think both of them got Lyme's disease. 
So, you know, listen, we live in the middle of nowhere and all around our property is the Allegheny National Forest. It's just surrounding this area where we live and it's just acres and acres of woods and there's old growth pines and there's bear and deer and raccoon and lakes and streams. And so I like to picture in my head that for two weeks, those dogs were out being wolves, running free and howling at the moon and hunting and digging and scratching and living like dogs all secretly want to live. Eventually, though... Uh, they were woefully unprepared with their nails trimmed and everything else. <laughs> and uh, they hadn't learned the porcupines aren't safe to eat, and they didn't learn to feed themselves very well, and they came home so they could be fed and cared for and groomed. Teddy and Lincoln are not wild, they're tamed. And while we as men may live in gentle little houses with fancy soaps and canned soups and table manners, we must not be tamed. We could be gentlemen, we could be polite, but we need to keep that fire of wildness and strength alive so that when our wild man is called upon, he lives strong in us. He's ready for anything, ready to fight, to defend, ready to provide for his family, ready to brave the elements so that he comes home, not because he can't survive, but because he did survive. Guys, thanks for tuning into the Manly Hit Man cast. I'm glad you guys are here with us and uh, please keep coming back. Please share this with your friends. Let everybody know... Uh, the stuff that we talk about, because I do believe that manhood is something awesome. I don't believe that it's toxic. I don't believe that it's something that is weak. I don't believe that it's something that is uh, unimportant. And I want you to be better men, and I want to be a better man. And so I just want to encourage you, share this with your family, share this with your friends, tell them about what you're learning about, and have conversations with people. Unpack this with others. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. You can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Our manly theme music is from Austin Sterling and also from Mark Cruz. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you are listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast. Ladies, you know your man's beard matters to him. That gorgeous tuft of manliness deserves some attention, too. Nobody likes to snuggle with a Brillo pad. So get your man some honky oil from honkyedc.com made with therapeutic-grade essential oils. These blends keep his beard soft and luxurious, and it comes in several rich, manly scents. In a convenient roller bottle, our beard oil is easy to apply, and our concentrated formula lasts longer than most. So get your man's beard or mustache back to what it should be with Honky Oil from HonkyEDC.com. That's HonkyEDC.com.